It's good to be with you. I've been away on holidays for a week. Gee, it's hard to get back to Sydney after you leave Sydney for a week. This place, man. Anyway, we're back now. <laughs> Thanks for asking about my holiday. That was nice. Uh, let, me, uh, let me pray and then we'll jump in. Uh, Father, you are a God who speaks and you have spoken most fully to us and finally through your son, Jesus. But we pray that we would be people who listen to what you have to say. Would you help us by your spirit today? Listen to what you have to say to us in your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we come to what is one of uh, Jesus' most famous parables. It's been called the parable of the sower, although a more accurate um, name for it would be the parable of the soils, because it's not about the sower, it's about the soils. Uh, And when we come to a passage like today's, which uh, is a very famous one, we need to be careful. We need to be careful because uh, with any passage that is well known, uh, if you've been a Christian for any period of time, chances are you're familiar with this. It's in three of the four Gospels. Uh, If you've been coming along to explore, this is one of the passages that we look at during Explore as well in Explore Mark's Gospel, which we've just finished up. As Sam said, there's a a new Explore starting in a few weeks. But we need to be careful uh, because when we come to a passage that we're familiar with, the temptation is to to tune out, or to only half listen, thinking that we already know what it has to say to us. But I want to say that would be a mistake. That would be a mistake because this is a parable that we need to listen to. No matter how many times we've heard it before, in fact, if you've noticed it, it's a parable about listening. As Jesus finishes the parable, he calls out to the great crowd that has gathered in verse 8, and he says, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. In other words, there's more going on here, so listen up if you actually want to understand what it's saying. Or again in verse 18, therefore consider carefully how you listen. And then right at the end of this section in verse 21, Jesus says that his family, his spiritual family, are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. This is a passage about listening, about hearing. But it's more than just listening in general. It's not a passage about becoming a better listener to your spouse or to your parents, although I'm sure we could all become better at that. I know I can. But it's about how you listen and how you hear the Word of God. And so can I ask us all, as familiar as we are with a passage like this, to take Jesus' advice and to listen carefully to what he has to say to you right now. Can you do that? Okay, let me set the scene for us as we jump into this story. And so verse 4, we're told that a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, and he told this parable. Now, in the other two accounts that we have of this parable recorded in Matthew 13 and Mark 4, they give us a little bit more information about this scene. What we're told is that uh, Jesus had been teaching in a town, and then he leaves that town and he goes out to the lake. Maybe he wants a little bit of time to himself, uh, take a bit of a break. But these huge crowds, now don't think hundreds, think thousands of people follow him out to the side of the lake, so much so that he needs to get into a boat to... For, uh, stop the crowds from crowding around him. And so he sits down in a boat on the lake and there's this huge crowd of people uh, standing on the shore. 
on the, the front of the lake. And he begins to teach. And a tradition in those times was when you were teaching, you would sit down and everyone else who was listening would stand up. Now, I think we should bring that here to church. For once, I'll sit. You guys can stand. I reckon that would be a good way to do it. But you're not going to do that, I can tell already. And so Jesus begins to speak. And sound travels really well over water. And in verses 5 to 8, as you'll see there, Luke records uh, what Jesus said. Now, if you're going to read this parable out loud, it would take about 30 seconds. That's all. And I'm going to read it for us again. But as I do, what I want you to do, just for a moment, is to put yourselves in the shoes of a first century Israelite, to one of the people who's come out to hear Jesus speak. So let me read it. It says, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and it was trampled on. And the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground. And when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on the good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. Now, what do you think your reaction would be if you were there listening to this parable? You'd come all the way out, you'd given up a day's worth of work to go out and hear it. What would your reaction be? Remember, this is an agrarian society. Everyone is a farmer. They know how to do these things. Would you be a bit underwhelmed? Maybe a little bit disappointed even? I came all the way for that? Maybe uh, you'd just go home and not give it a second thought afterwards. Or maybe you'd be a bit more intrigued. There must be something else behind it, behind what he's saying here. And so as you, you leave and you go home, you start talking with your friends and your family, going, what do you reckon that meant? And you, t- you discuss it. Well, what happens next is a change of scene. Uh, in Mark's account uh, of the parable, we, we get a little bit more information. Uh, in Mark 4 verse 10, he records that when he, that is Jesus, was alone, with the 12 and the others around him. And so, in other words, the great crowd of people has left. They've all gone home, or nearly everybody. The disciples, they're still there, which I think is talking about more than just the 12. Uh, In two chapters later, he's going to send out 72 disciples to go out preaching and teaching. And so it's a much larger group than just the 12 here. And then there's some others there as well, others who stayed around wanting to know what the parable means. And so in verse 9... His disciples asked him what the parable meant. Now, what Jesus will do in a moment is go on and explain what the parable is about. But before he does that, first he's going to explain to them why he speaks to the crowd in parables. Now, interestingly, if you read the Gospels, it's from this moment on in all of the Gospels that whenever Jesus speaks to crowds, he always speaks to them in parables. And so why? Why does he do that? Well, I think it's a common assumption to think that the reason Jesus spoke in parables uh, was to make things easier to understand, to make complex heavenly things easy to understand, like a, you know, like a kid's story. And, and in one sense, there's some truth to that. Like it's not a hard parable to understand on the surface level, is it? Even for us whose farming experience is probably a couple of half-dead pot plants on our balconies or in our office, Tim... <laughs> 
that poor plant. I don't know how that thing is still alive. <laughs> when he was on holidays a few weeks ago, I snuck in and gave it some water. Just to... um, but that's not why he spoke in parables. Have a look what he says. And this is where it's going to get a little bit difficult just for a moment. So stay with me. Verse 10 says, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you, but to others I speak in parables. And so first thing to notice is there's two groups that Jesus talks about here. There's the you, that is, uh, the disciples and the people who have hung around and have asked Jesus what the parable means. And Jesus says, to you, you will be given the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God. But then there's a second group, the others. And look at what Jesus says about them. He says, but to the others, I speak in parables. Why? Well, so that those seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. Did you see what Jesus is saying? Why he speaks in parables. It's not so that his word would be easier to understand. He speaks in parables so that, with the purpose that, people may not see. They may not understand. Now, is that different to what you would expect Jesus to say? If you're in community group this week, you might have uh, wrestled with this. What, what, what's going on here? Why did he say this? You may even have some questions about it. Is it fair that Jesus would speak like that? Why would he do it? Why would he make it harder for people to understand? What's going on? Well, what Jesus is doing here is he's quoting from the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 6. Um, and what's going on there is God sends Isaiah the prophet to go to the people of Israel, to go to God's people and to preach. But God says, as you go and as you preach, they're not going to listen. In fact, the more you preach, the more you speak to them, the harder their hearts will become. That their hearing will become dull or they will shut their eyes, that they don't want to hear what God has to say to them. And Jesus says the same is true here. Just as Isaiah spoke and the people didn't want to listen, so here there are many people who don't want to listen, who don't want to understand. And so he deliberately speaks in a way that will actually show who are the genuine seekers and who just don't even want to understand. Those who will stay around long enough to hear and to understand what he's saying and those who won't. Really what it does is divide people into two groups. That's why he spoke in parables. That's why he's going to continue to speak in parables. And this is what this parable that we're going to look at today is about. It's about the different responses that people will have to the hearing of the word of God. And so let's now turn to Jesus' explanation of the parable. Now, if you tuned out during that bit, time to tune back in. Come with me to verse 11. So in verses 11 to 15, Jesus explains this parable. Uh, and this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning, working through Jesus' explanation of the four soils and then thinking about how this would then apply to our lives. Now, there are three main characters in the parable. You've got the farmer, you've got the seed, and you've got the soil. Uh, now, this isn't a parable about the skill of the farmer. It's the same farmer for each of the soils. And it's also not a parable about the quality of the seed. 
It's the same seed that was sown in each of the soils. In verse 11, Jesus tells us that the seed represents the word of God. So it's not about the farmer, it's not about the seed. What is it about? Well, it's about the four soils. That's why I think this uh, parable should be called the parable of the soils, not the sower. And it's what these four soils represent that matters. They're the different responses that people will have to the hearing of the word of God. You see it in each verse. In verse 12, the ones who hear. Or verse 13, when they hear it. Or 14, those who hear. Or verse 15, who hear the word. But Jesus just isn't speaking about our ears. He's speaking about our hearts. You see that throughout the passage. So verse 12 takes away the word from their hearts. Or again in verse 15, it's those with a noble and good heart who hear the word. What is the parable about? Well, it's about the different responses that the human heart will have to the hearing of God's word. The different responses the human heart will have to the hearing of God's word. All four hear it, but there's four radically different responses to that. So let's look at each one of these responses. And as we go through them, let Jesus do some heart diagnosis on you. Which one do you think you are as we go through this? Okay, the first soil, Jesus says, is the path. And I've called this first response the hard heart. Have a look at verse 12. It says, those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Now, farmland in first century Israel typically was long, narrow strips of land, and along the side of each piece of land, there would be a path. And it, uh, people would walk along and to um, sow the seed. They'd walk along the path and cast the seed out into their field. And some would inevitably end up on the path of which they were walking along. And also, as people walked from village to village, they would walk through the fields on these paths. And so the soil would become hard, and any seed that had landed on it would get trampled underfoot. And Jesus says that for some, this is the response that they have to the word of God. That their hearts are hard to hearing it. That there's no chance of it ever taking root in their lives. But there's more going on here, because did you notice, Jesus says there's a spiritual forces at play here. That behind the hard heart is the devil who comes and takes away the word from their hearts. Now, what does that look like? I think it's less super spiritual than we might first think. I think the devil can use all sorts of different things to make our hearts hearts hard to listening to God and his word. Just being too proud or arrogantly thinking that it's all rubbish without actually looking into it, engaging with it, or just loving sin and being enslaved to it. Or maybe some bad experiences from your past or your upbringing that have caused you to close yourself up off to the possibility of spirituality and to God. Satan will do whatever he can to harden our hearts to God and his word. Now, I think we've all got people like that in our lives, don't we, that are just completely closed off to anything related to God. My wife, Shell, a number of years ago, invited one of her friends along to church. And to her surprise, she actually said yes. And she came along. But after church had f finished, she came up to her and said, never invite me again. 
And from that moment on, she's never been interested in anything spiritual, anything to do with God. But me being the mission pastor at church, always got to find a way around this. And so a little while ago when she came over for dinner, I got her to read uh, a book to our kids before they went to bed. And knowing that my kids' favorite book to read is the kids' Bible. And so made her read the kids' Bible to our kids. So always use your kids to do evangelism. It's a good thing to do. But Jesus says here, there's a grave danger in this kind of hard Heartedness. You see it at the end of verse 12 there. It says, Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word that was sown from their, the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. If you have a hard heart to the things of God, then you cannot believe and be saved. You cannot open yourself up to the possibility of your need of salvation. Can I suggest that if you're here today and your heart, is hard, your heart is hard towards the things of God, could I suggest to you that there are other forces going on in this, that there are spiritual forces seeking, you, seeking to stop you from listening to God? But it doesn't have to stay like that. Maybe today is the day that your heart could change, become more soft to hearing from God. That's the first response, the hard heart. Now, what's interesting is that of all of the three remaining soils, all of them have a positive response to the word of God, at least at the start. Let's have a look at the next one. It's the the rocky soil, which I've called the shallow heart. Have a look from verse 13. It says, those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. Now, when it comes to rocky ground, what I've always imagined is a field that still has rocks all the way through it. But that's wrong. What it's actually talking about is shallow soil with a layer of rock underneath it. And so what would happen is that as the seed is sown, it would spring up quickly, and it looks like it's growing well. But because it doesn't have any roots... Over time, it would die off because it can't get the moisture that it needs to survive. Now, over the years, I've seen a bunch of people at Grace City like this who appear to be, who have come Christians, become Christians. They receive the word of God with joy. They hear the gospel of God's grace, make a profession of faith, maybe even get baptized. But over time, they fall away. I have such anxiety for every new believer at church that they wouldn't be like this, that their response to the word of God would not be shallow with no roots, that they would dig down deep into God and his word. If you're a new Christian, and we have many at church, joy is a great thing, and the Christian life should be one that has joy in it, but emotion won't sustain you in the long haul in your Christian life. Times of testing will come. We all face trials in our Christian life. And so dig down deep in your faith. Get into a community group where you can dwell on God's word each week and connect with other believers who can walk alongside you. Come along to church. Read your Bible. Don't stay shallow in your faith. Dig deep. Just last week when I was away on holidays, I I got a message from a young guy who used to go to church here. He got baptized here a couple of years ago, actually. 
Um, he'd come along to explore, and after a while, he made a profession of faith. He seemed to be growing in his faith. We'd, we'd meet up, read the Bible together. Um, he got into a community group. But over time, he started to become a bit more sporadic. Uh, his church attendance became less regular, and then he ended up moving to another city uh, for, for work, away from church and away from Christian community. And the message he sent me last week, he was, he was really honest in it, which was great. I thanked him for that. But as times of testing had come in his life, he told me that he'd grown cold and apathetic to the gospel. Now, I haven't given up on him. Uh, neither's God. Uh, God is our, the God who leaves the 99 to go after the one. And so I'm still praying for him. He's agreed to catch up on Zoom and we're going we're gonna to talk. But yeah, these are the things that hurt the most as a pastor, I reckon. He's seeing people fall away, shallow faith. So that's the second response, shallow faith, a shallow heart. The third is the choked heart. Um, and I think this is the one that we need to be most careful of. For anyone who's been around church for any period of time, for, that, for us here today at Grace City, we are the ones who are in danger of having our hearts choked by the weeds and the thorns. Have a look at verse 14. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. These are people in church. These are people in community groups. They used to care about getting rid of sin in their lives, but now they just excuse it. They're people who used to be on fire for Christ, but are now just lukewarm in their faith. Over time, other voices have become louder and the word of God has become softer and starting to choke it out in their lives. Did you notice the thing that Jesus says of the thorns, though? Because they're not necessarily evil things. They're just normal things. They're life's worries and riches and pleasures. What I found is the older I get in life, the more worries I have. You guys feel that as well? Kids, finances, elderly parents, mortgages, health issues, job. Life is just complicated, isn't it? And it's so easy for those things, just the normal things in life, to choke out the word of God in our lives if we let it. And it's the same with riches and pleasures. They aren't necessarily bad things. But has your desire for wealth and for pleasures choked out the word of God in your life? Has your career or your mortgage or just entertainment made it harder for you to hear and to listen to God's word? I want to say be careful because it'll happen slowly. If you're not paying attention, you might not even realize it's happening. Weeds grow up over time and they choke us. The screw tape letters, if you've read that by C.S. Lewis, it's about a senior demon teaching a junior demon how to destroy Christians. And in that, the senior demon says, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Just think back over your life, over the last five, ten years of your Christian life, 
Can you see a pattern of God and his word being choked out by other things, becoming softer while other things becoming louder? Here's some of the things that I've seen have choked people in the past, choked out the word of God. Moving overseas to chase a career or an experience. It's not like moving overseas is a bad thing, but be careful. When you get out of Christian community, all those things start to happen. Or job promotions that mean more time or more pressure in the office. Do you know that if you get offered a job promotion, you don't have to take it? Grace City, we need to hear that. This is a church full of people who get promotions. Job promotions aren't a bad thing. Good on you if you get one, but you can say no to it if it means it's going to take more time away from your family, but more importantly, more time away from your church family and your word of God. Or relationships that you know aren't what God wants for you. Or going into too much debt to get a bigger and a better house. This is the one I've noticed... Over the last few months, I was talking with my wife last night. These are the weeds growing up in my life at the moment. The temptation, we've just sold a house, we're looking to get something a little bit bigger. And the temptation to just stretch a bit further, just go a bit more on the mortgage, just to get, I don't know, an extra room? (laughs) What about rationalizing areas of sin in our lives so that we can keep doing them? Oh, it's not really sin. Or, you know, I know it's sin, but I just can't stop. What about making other things more important than gathering together as a community here at church each week and in our community groups? You know, according to the National Church Life Survey, survey, since COVID, the average church attendance for Christians, not just for people visiting, for Christians, is 50% of the time. Now, Grace City, we're better than the average we're at about 60 to 65%. That means that the average, person, the average Christian who attends Grace City, average member at church here, misses 20 Sundays a year. Now, I miss about three, so someone else is bringing up my average. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the same with community groups as well, but can I ask the question? Okay, so it's, we've got a four-weeks holiday a year, give or take, so... Sure, you're away four weeks of the year. Maybe you're sick a few times. What are you doing with the rest of these weeks? Are you waking up on Sunday morning and deciding whether you're going to come to church? Man, if you woke up this morning and you're going to make that decision, chances are you want to come. It's freezing. You just stay under the covers, stay in bed. Don't make a decision every week to come to church. Make a decision before then that each week you're going to come to church. You won't regret it when you come. You get to gather with God's people. You get to sit under God's word and hear from him. Can I humbly suggest that it's much harder to hear God's word in your life if you only come every second week. We're all in danger of having our hearts choked by the weeds. And so if you think this is you, if you think this is describing you, if you think as you're hearing this, you're convicted by God that this could be you, what do you do? Well, firstly, I think you need to repent. Repent. And to pray for a changed heart. God's in the business of changing hearts. But then do something about it. Tell someone else about the areas where the weeds are. Tell someone and then dig them out at the roots. Put a plan in place to dig them out. 
Get other people to help you with that. It might mean something drastic like quitting your job or getting a different one or breaking up with someone or choosing to live in a smaller place or just doing less so you have more time for God and his word. Dane Ortland in his book, Deeper, says it this way. He says, right now, every one of us who is in Christ is either killing sin or being killed by sin, either getting stronger or getting weaker. If you think you are coasting, you're actually going backwards. It may feel as if you are currently in neutral, but our hearts are like gardens. If we aren't proactively rooting out the weeds, the weeds are growing. Now, just before we move on to the last soil, let me quickly just address a question you might have, because you might be thinking, Matt, doesn't the Bible say that Christians can't fall away? That once a Christian, always a Christian? Even the first song we sang about, the second song we sang about that. Yes, you're right, it does. The Bible says that if you are saved, God will hold you firm in the palm of his hand. And so if you really are a Christian, you will heed the warning that is here in this passage and you will dig up the weeds that grow in your life and you will become the good soil. Because it's only the fourth soil as we'll see, that makes it to the harvest. And so let's have a look at that one now. The, the good soil. And this I've called the fruitful heart. Verse 15. But the seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. Now when Jesus says, uh, he's talking about here about the noble and the good heart, think less of a moral category uh, as in good and evil, uh, think of it more like this, the opposite of the other soils, as in not hard like the path or not shallow like the rocky soil or not filled with weeds. It's good soil, ready to hear and listen to God's word, soft, an open heart, ready to hear but to be changed by the word of God. And what does that look like? Well, it's those who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. You see what Jesus is saying? All four of the soils here, but it's only the fourth one that retains it. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means to hold it fast, to, to let it go from your head to your heart, uh, to let it rebuke you and to call out things in your life. It's letting the word of God take root in your heart, not letting it go in one ear and out the other, which happens so often at church, doesn't it? You hear the word, you're convicted by it, and then you go out and talk about something else and you've forgotten. But as the word of God, through the spirit of God, convicts you, listen to it, hold on to it, and then do something about it. Do what it says. Because Jesus says not only those who hear it, not only retain it, but also produce a crop over time. In fact, they're the only ones that do. Now, I've heard this week there's been a lot of discussion in your community groups as to is it just the fourth soil that is a Christian or is it maybe the third as well? Do you have that? One of you. Yep, okay. <laughs> I'll speak to the one person who's got that question. It's a good question to ask, I think. If you haven't already, it's a good question to ask. And 
It's one you need to think through, but, but surely it's only the fourth because it's the only one that matures. It's the only one that produces a crop. It's the only one that makes it to the harvest. If you're a farmer and uh, your crops never produce anything, what do you do with them? Well, you dig them up, throw them away, and you plant new ones, don't you? Well, that doesn't mean that we'll never have weeds, that weeds won't grow up in our lives, even if we are the good soil. They will. But as you hear the word of God, as God speaks to you by his spirit through his word and convicts you and shows you those weeds in your life, those thorns, then dig them up and throw them away. Now, what is the crop? Well, it could be many things. It leaves it very open. But at the very least, what I think it would be is a changed life. Uh, that as you listen to the word of God, it leads to your life being changed over time. And so again, if nothing has changed in your life since you've come to faith, then you need to look hard at whether you've actually listened to the word of God. Have you retained it? Has it actually had effect in your life? Remember what Jesus said in verse 21. As Jesus is speaking, he says, My family, my spiritual family, are those who not only hear God's word, but put it into practice who hear it, retain it, and produce a crop. And if you do, the promise here is that there will be a crop, a hundred times what was sown. Now, apparently back in these days, if you got a crop ten times, that was a great crop. But here the promise is of a hundredfold crop. It's an amazing harvest, an amazing fruit. And that's what God is promising to those who are willing to listen to him, to be changed by his word. Do you want that in your life? And so, Grace City, what soil are you? Not the person next to you or that person you're thinking about. Let God worry about them. What about you? What soil do you think you are? Let God diagnose your heart as you hear his word. What is the state of your heart, to, heart towards God and his word? Is it hard? Is it shallow? Is it choked out by thorns and weeds? Or is it soft, ready to produce fruit? Maybe today as you, we've looked at this word from Jesus together, you've been convicted. Maybe you've been convicted that you're one of the first three soils. If that's you, I don't think the answer is to think, well, I'm not the good soil, so I mustn't be a Christian. I think a better question to ask is, what soil do you want to be? Not what soil are you, but what soil do you want to be? And I hope that all of us want to be the good soil, the one that perseveres to the end, the one who listens, retains, and produces a crop. And so if that's you, ask God to soften your heart, to dig out the weeds, and then to dig down deep roots in your heart of God's word to go deep into the gospel of his grace, to be reminded of the depths of his love for you, for his, the forgiveness that he's given you, and then listen to what he says. Hold on to it and let it change your heart and your life. Because the promise is that if you do that, there'll be a great harvest in the end. And so let's pray.
that God does that heart work in all of us. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it speaks directly to our hearts and that it is the one thing that can bring about change. (coughs) Father, would you cause us to listen well to what you have to say to us, that we would retain it, that we would have soft hearts ready to hear and to do what you have to say. Father, I pray that you would be with us this week. We'd not let this conviction go from us, but that we would take action. That we would be the people who consider what you say and do what it says. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.